This episode is brought to you by March of Dimes, the leader in the fight for health for all moms and babies. March of Dimes observed National Birth Defects Prevention Month in January, and March 3rd is World Birth Defects Day. But the sad truth is, birth defects happen year-round. Every year, the March of Dimes partners with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to generate actions women, their families, and care providers can take to prevent birth defects, which affects about 120,000 of the 4 million babies born in the U.S. every year and are a major cause of infant death and lifelong disability. Those are scary numbers, I know. But the good news is there are lots of things we can do to increase a woman's chances of having a healthy full-term pregnancy and baby. The theme for 2020's Birth Defect Prevention Month is Best for You, Best for Baby. And you can follow and share hashtag best number for you, best number for baby on social media platforms. What I love about this campaign is that their message aligns completely with what we talk about here on the podcast, right? So go on over to marchofdimes.org slash PP and P, find best for you, best for baby, and look up their five easy tips any woman can take to increase her chances of having a healthy pregnancy and baby. And you are listening to Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and so much more. This is our third week with the new title. We used to be Common Sense, Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, but you know what? Such a mouthful, right? Um, So we shortened it, Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, and that's what we talk about. I am a registered nurse, worked in labor and delivery for 20-something years. I'm a mom of many And I'm the author of three books about pregnancy, birth, and parenting. The one that started this good long podcast conversation of ours is Common Sense Pregnancy. Before that, I co-wrote the Complete Illustrated Birthing Companion. I know, that's another mouthful. But both of those books are available everywhere. My third book, Mom's Side of the Story, is only available on my website. So head on over to jeanfaulkner.com and pick up your copy. It's a journal and workbook that guides women to write themselves as the main character in their own and their baby's life story. Lord knows everyone on your healthcare team is writing about you from their own, their healthcare facilities and insurance standard perspectives. It's up to you to write your story from your own perspective. After all, that's really the only story that truly matters. Okay, we are going to keep our intro super short this week because I'm super excited about this week's guest. Yes, there's a lot going on in the world, especially politically right now, but I gave you a good long rant last week and I bet you're ready for a little break. Believe me, we are in primary season for the presidential and Senate elections, so you'll be hearing a lot about that from me going forward. This week, though, let's talk about a topic that requires a whole lot of discussion. We're going to talk about racism, disparity, equality, and the biases we all have that seriously impact the health, lives, and births of women. We're going to talk with a woman I've been eager to talk to for a long time. Kimberly Seals-Allers is an award-winning journalist, 
She's the author of five books. She's an international speaker, strategist, and advocate for maternal and infant health. She's a former senior editor at Essence Magazine, a writer at Fortune Magazine. She's a leading commenter on commentator on birth, breastfeeding, and motherhood, and the intersection of race, policy, and culture. She's a frequent qu- contributor to the New York Times and Washington Post, Slate, and many other publications. And she has more than 20 years' experience as an international business journalist, Wall Street columnist, and all of that gives her a unique lens to frame communication strategy with an understanding of business and the capital markets. She's the director of various on-the-ground community-based projects in several U.S. cities. She's deeply rooted in the lived experience of mothers across the socioeconomic spectrum, and she brings all of these experiences to bear in her strategic advisement for clients, advocacy efforts, and her vision for a world that supports mothering as valued work. Okay. What a bio. I love it, love it, love it. We're going to take a super fast break for our sponsor, and then we get to talk to Ms. Kimberly Seals-Allers. March of Dimes has a powerful new campaign, Best for You, Best for Baby, which started in January, Birth Defects Prevention Month, and goes all the way to March 3rd, which is World Birth Defects Day. You'll find all kinds of information about their campaign on social media at Hashtag best number four you best for baby and find out five simple ways any woman can increase her odds for having a healthy pregnancy and baby. About one out of every 33 babies is born with a birth defect, which can be life altering and even life threatening. Yeah, those are scary numbers, but there are so many things women and their families can do to prevent becoming a statistic. Check out best for you best for baby on social media. Go on over to marchofdimes.org slash pp and p and be sure to give a listen to two special episodes on February 22nd and February 29th where we talk all about it. Okay, we are back and let's get Kimberly on the line. Hi, Kimberly. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, Jeannie. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm having a really, really good morning. And uh, it could have gone so many different directions, but so far I'm knocking on wood. All right. That's that's great. Yeah, yeah. Kimberly, are you in New York? I am. I love it. I love New York. It's my second favorite city in the world, primarily because my daughter lives there. I'm in Portland, <laughs> Oregon. Is that your first favorite city? I don't know. I it varies. <laughs> every time I go someplace, it's my favorite city. So I just leave every other one as second favorite. Portland's good, but it's February and it's gloomy, gray, and rainy. So my listeners are used to me whining quite a lot about it. Well, we are in the same wine today, Jeannie, because it is gloomy, gray, and rainy in New York and has been for several days. So we are all in a Portland vibe right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You have company. You have okay, company. Good. Across the nation. <laughs> Across the nation. Yeah. Well, Kimberly, I know that we only have about a half hour to talk to you today, and I am super excited that um, you're here to talk with me and our listeners. 
And I read a bit of your bio before I got you on the line. So my first question is the real hard esoteric one. Who are you and what do you do? Mm. Well, I see myself as a change agent. My goal is to uh, change the motherhood experience for all women. Um, And I often say like motherhood changed my life. And now I try to change the motherhood experience for all for all, all, all other women. Um, and so that's really about who I am. I had a wonderful career in journalism. I was a writer at Fortune Magazine, a senior editor at Essence. And when I became uh, a mother, it really shifted things for me. You know, the things that matter didn't matter so much anymore. And I became incredibly fascinated about the experiences women were having uh, in birth and breastfeeding. And so um, I, you know, was one of these people who probably over-researched myself uh, when I was pregnant the first time and was learning way too much information thanks to Dr. Google. And, um, you know, just really as a journalist was asking a lot of questions that no one seemed to have answers for. Um, And that really started with one, kind of looking at the policy gaps in general, but also looking at what was happening uniquely to Black women in pregnancy. In fact, my very first book, which came out in 2006, uh, was a pregnancy guidebook for Black women. It was really the first of its kind because I'm not a doctor, right? So it wasn't about a medical prescriptive, this is what you should do for the 40 weeks, but it really looked at the sociocultural landscape to really kind of ask this question about why Black women uh, were having Uh, statistically having these poor birth outcomes, regardless of education or class. Um, And so, you know, that kind of started me on this journey of looking at things differently. I think there are a lot of things around the birth and breastfeeding and motherhood spectrum that we have grown to take for granted, even though it's incredibly horrible. Um, And I really began this journey of inquiry for me to to start to question some of those things. And some of those things were about what was happening uh, in racial disparities, but others were about the policy gaps and the role of commercial interests and how we feed our children and how we birth our babies and to really look bigger at some of these issues. So that's what I love to do. That is a really good answer to that question. And, (laughs) um, you know, I'm always interested in how women find their way into the birth industry. And, um, you know, my path is that I was a labor and delivery nurse for 27 years and um, then got into, you know, advocacy and writing and sort of trying to tackle very similar issues as you were from a different angle. But in 2006, we were just starting to really, we were really ramping up with some pretty atrocious healthcare policies in hospitals that impacted all women, but I think primarily women of color. And for listeners who aren't quite aware yet, um, African-American women, maternal mortality rate is four to five times what it is for Caucasian women. And, you know, even if women survive, their chances of having a poor outcome, an injury, or just plain old lousy care is super high. And we're always asking ourselves why, but the real questions are systemic. Am I wrong? 
No, you're absolutely right. And also, I mean, I live in New York City, you know, uh, your, your second favorite city, my first favorite city, but here the black maternal mortality rate is 12 times that of white women. Um, and so when we're looking at advanced locations, places that we think of as progressive and, and having loads of resources, we know that this is not a resource issue. Um, the other thing that is important to note is that, you know, black women's birth outcomes um, are not uh, are not improved by education and class. And I say that to mean that when white women's birth outcomes improve with education and income, that is not the case for black women. And so, you know, this was part of my, uh, my shock moment when I became pregnant. I was blessed to have been educated. I was actually finishing my master's at Columbia while I was pregnant. Um, and I was blessed to not be poor. And I didn't know that I was statistically still at the same risk as my disadvantaged sisters. And so, you know, income and class do not are not protective for black women as they are for white women. And so once you get to that point and you kind of filter out all of these things that they have said were the reasons, you really do have to start looking at the system and you have to start looking at systemic racism and bias and how that shows up in our care. Yeah, we do. I think that, you know, as a nurse and um, I'm probably generalizing, but maybe not very much. I think that especially in areas where um, there's a predominantly Caucasian community in our healthcare systems, you know, more white doctors and nurses, more white patients, there's an assumption made that um, poor outcomes have to do with poverty or neglect or violence, and it's simply not true. And that's, you know, just evidence of racism on our part, that that's the way we're looking at the situation, rather than looking for deeper answers. And yes. um, go ahead. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a trend in general to problematize women, right? And so if something's happening to you, it's your fault. You're Get the it. problem. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that happens in terms of women across the board, but uniquely with black women because of, you know, kind of like the the stereotypes that have historically been heaped upon us. And so it became very easy to say, well, black women are obese or black women have high blood pressure. Well, let's ask why that is, you know? So that's a yeah. question about what what's accessible in their neighborhoods in terms of healthy foods. That's a question about, well, is there a safe place to exercise? Even those things don't occur in a vacuum. Don't, you know, they, they occur as a result of other in, in factors. And the fact that we've kind of looked at these things in that way has been detrimental to all women um, and, and mostly and, and even more detrimental to Black women who are paying the highest price with their life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there is also a tendency to be dismissive of women mm -hmm. and what they're saying is their truth. Because as healthcare providers, I think that we are trying to satisfy, we're trying to tick all the boxes that our healthcare system tells us are important. We have to go through all of our checklists. We have to go through all of our monitoring and policies. And that is where a huge bulk of our focus and time goes. And there's far less training in the softer skills that used to be more prevalent with nursing, listening, adjusting, compromising, and mm -hmm. serving. Yeah, I mean, and like I say, I mean, the healthcare professionals are working within a system too, and the system has failed them as well. You know, they have a very checkbox 
uh, way of doing things, which, you know, is, is unfortunate. And so they have to, you know, they're under pressure, often understaffed with not a lot of time, but those are the places where biases show up. Right. And those are the times when you're thinking, you know, who's going to be more helpful or, you know, thinking about an attitude of why do you think she has an attitude? You know, <laughs> you know, just it's, it's in those kind of rush moments. And because of that, we kind of are acting on an impulse that may be framed around bias and stereotypes about who black women are. We've seen these ridiculous scientific reports and I'm using my air quotes about black women and their pain tolerance. And so, you know, if you've been told that black women uh, have a higher pain tolerance and when she's telling you she's in pain, then you're not going to take that seriously. You know, so, you know, it's, so we, we have to really think about the systems and not just, um, uh, uh, the person, but the environment, even when we think about, you know, I say this a lot when I travel the world to speak is that, you know, we're talking about this evidence-based maternity care, very important, but we also have to ask evidence based on whom, right? right. And so even our science, quote unquote, science that we're using has been, you know, mostly framed around one experience. And that is usually white women of privilege. And so when we really start to unpack it and peel away the layers, we can see how this group has been one left out by research, left out by science, burdened by stereotypes and, you know, harmed by a system. Um, and, and until we kind of start having those real conversations, you know, we're really not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And even those studies that are looking at, um, maternal health from a Caucasian perspective, most of them are not about women. Most of them are about babies' outcomes, not women's outcomes. So, you know, mm -hmm. even a smaller slice of the pie, it's really amazing, especially at a time when we are struggling in the United States with um, really terrible maternal mortality and morbidity rates, and they're not going down. No, I mean, and and to your point, our infant mortality rates are not impressive for our, for our, for the status of our country either. Um, and certainly, the black infant mortality rates are 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 you know horrible. So we we really, I mean, if you look, and for me, you know, you you look at the the status of mothers and children and infants, right, as really a a, a as a harbinger for the society, as a way to gauge a society, and in that regard, we are doing woefully poorly in many measures around maternal health, infant health, um, and all those things that really should reflect our societal values. And when you think about it, they actually do reflect our societal values. We yes, just don't do. want to be honest about what those values actually are. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, during this uh, particular administration and presidential campaign, I think that we're really taking a solid look at that. And a lot of citizens are saying, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, we really don't value women and children. That's okay, because we value all of this other stuff. Um, Mm. Other uh, yeah, candidates, yeah, other candidates are saying, wait, 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 let's talk about this. So it's it's an interesting time to be alive, especially as a woman. 
Yes, it is an interesting time. I mean, when we look at what's going on with reproductive rights on the legal stand front, you know, it's it's a scary time. Um, and so this is why it's really important that, you know, we as women really get together to make sure that we stand up for all women. One of the things that I've been quite vocal on social media and in, you know, in my speaking work about is that unfortunately in this country, we frame we've framed reproductive rights as the right not to have a child, very important. The right to an unwanted pregnancy, also very important. But also, what about the right to actually give birth to that child, not die from it, and then feed what your uh, body produced? That is a reproductive right, too. And until we not frame that's until we start to frame reproductive rights, not just about not using them, but also about using them and having the protections and policies in place to do that, we are not going to be building a broad based women's movement. That doesn't include all women. How's that going to work, right? I think the studies say that 70 or 80% of women become mothers in their lifetime, but yet we are thinking about the protections to not use your reproductive organs, which are very valid and important, but we don't think about, in, in, in the same conversation, the protections that women deserve when they choose to. And that's where I hope this next revolution uh, occurs in terms of feminism and reproductive rights, that we are also including the rights that women need when they do use their reproductive organs. And that is critically important and woefully lacking um, in, in our dialogues. It's so often framed as women's issues, therefore less than. But this is humanity's issues. These are men's issues. Mm-hmm. These are family issues. Everybody needs and has a mother. Everybody. And Everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a mother, hands down. Right, <laughs> right. We we all came from a mother, so um, yeah, yeah. And I think that you know when we can show that this is not about uh, one group; it's about all of us, which includes you know us as women. Like not creating these dividing lines between you know people who have stretched out their uteruses and those who haven't, and you know like how do we also as women not kind of perpetuate the thing that's happening above us and around us, right? How do we kind of coalesce around the issues that we know matter um, for all women and not be kind of distracted by these dividing lines that have been there? Um, And so, you know, it's really, really important. And and I, to your point, it's to me, especially at this time, at this very pivotal point where we're going to have to decide as a nation who we are, that, you know, we, that we think about these issues as being included in, 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 in how we're thinking about what's next included and prioritized don't you think included absolutely included and prioritized absolutely dream about what the world would be like if we made women's lives the priority it's never happened no, it's never happened. I, I do dream about that. And, you know, because I've had the privilege to travel uh, around the world and to go to other countries where you see variations of it. I mean, certainly there are many countries doing much better than us. And obviously no, no one has an ideal. But when you see, you know, I mean, we think about something very basic. We are the only industrialized nation that doesn't have a paid family leave as a federal policy. It's ridiculous. You know, oh, yeah. it's like us and Papua New Guinea or something. And, yeah. you know, um, 
and, and when you see what even something that small does for prioritizing motherhood in that early phase, when you see that people, you know, one of the things I'm often talking about is that mothering in this country is not valued as important work. And that, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me that I could pay somebody else to watch my kid, but nobody will pay me to watch my own kid, even if I just want to give myself back money that I put aside. Right. So, you know, but like our system of not valuing the mothering um, is as as important work is really critical. And when you go to other cultures and societies and places where at least mothering isn't valued as something where you need to be paid to take time off to do, then that sets an important precedent. So, you know, it's a really critical starting point around, you know, the government's priorities and so that society's priorities. And we don't even have that. No. We've got very, very little. Yes. And so often the argument is, well, you're the one who decided to have a kid. If you couldn't afford it, you shouldn't have had one. Oh, nonsense. <laughs> you know, and then I, I talk to women in Norway and Finland and even the mm -hmm. UK mm -hmm. who, um, you know, tell me these incredible stories about their lives where they had six months, 10 months, a year of paid family leave so that they could stay home and breastfeed their babies. And they had healthcare providers who came to their home to make mm -hmm. sure that they had everything they need and they were feeling well. And they came often. Um, one woman told me that in the first few weeks after she had her baby, a healthcare provider came to her home every week, helped her with her laundry, made sure she got us some food and a nap, sat with her and talked with her, reassured her, gave her information, helped her do her dishes. I mean, it's like, yes, please. That's what we need. Right. And, and that's a standard practice in many, many places, right? You know, we have this very black hole postpartum and many people fall into that gap, you know, um, in terms of, you know, depression and, 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 and being overwhelmed and, you know, it just turns you off. And then of course, breastfeeding becomes frustrating. So you don't do that anymore. And it's, it's a setup for failure. It really is. And so the fact that any of us eke out some sort of meaningful, you know, breastfeeding experience, you know, you read these stories of women who are saving up vacation days and saving up sick days to to kind of carve out a uh, maternity leave. It's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah. And, you and know, part of that- can't even do that. Because right. Some women are, can't be doing that. Yeah. They've got shift-based Absolutely. Yeah. And- now we know that, what do they say, 25% of women are going back to work 10 days after childbirth. And in the places where I've been privileged to lead community projects in Detroit, Philadelphia, and many cities across the Southeast, uh, we see women going back to work in five days, you know, and we've seen women, you know, it's just, it's just sad. Um, and you overlay that with the high rates of C-sections and you're like, oh my God, Right. So, you know, it's just it's just really um, untenable. And, and, and I really need to add to this point here, Janie, that, you know, for me, a lot of this has feminist roots. Right. And that um, in our very important quest and our very important quest to be viewed as equal to men, that we've forgot to fight for the things that make us uniquely women and that feminism did not value mothering, you know, and there were good reasons at the time. And of course, no one should be forced to mother. But what about you choosing to mother and having that in space? And I think that, you know, now we see women forced into male work patterns. You know, now we're expected to, if you're breastfeeding, please go in this room because nobody wants to see you lactate. You know, it's, right. it's like, wait a minute, I just gave birth to a human here. 
Um, but there's, but there is this, you know, mothering was not important and that, and now we're at the other side of that. And, and we have to now make this a feminist issue, um, because it is. It is. You're right. Yeah. So, um, I want to talk about earth and I want to talk about your app. Yes. Tell me, yeah, tell me about this. Well, you know, this is a very interesting story. I got the idea for Earth from my own personal experience because when I was giving birth, as I mentioned, I was pregnant in, in graduate school um, at Columbia, and I asked my girlfriends, where should I deliver? And at that time, my, most of my friends who were mothers and had experience in the city were my white girlfriends. So they raved about this one particular place, and I went to the same hospital and left traumatized. I mean, traumatized. I was disrespected. I had a C-section that I still can't explain. It was such a glaring uh, disparity. And in fact, you know, we were able later to joke, like, were you at the same place, right? But at the end of the day, at that point in my life, I was not yet married. And because I was still a student, I had student insurance. And I was treated like an unwed Black woman with basic insurance. And it became clear to me that you know, having these reviews from, you know, middle-class white women was not helpful for me at that time because of my circumstance. And so this is happening all over the country. And I've seen this in my work in so many cities that people are not getting treated the same way, even at the same place. The listening to mother survey is telling us that black and Latino women are reporting perceptions of disrespect um, and, and poor treatment that's connected to their racial ethnic identity. So mm-hmm. I had this idea around earth, which is the word birth, but we dropped the B for bias um, as a tool. So clever. <laughs> thank you. As, as a tool that we could use to one, to be able to find a review from someone like you. So with the app, you will be able to go in and I could, and you can say, I'm a black woman. This is my income. This is my sexual orientation, my gender identification. This is my insurance type, the things that we know impact care. Um, and it would generate a review from someone like you. So that you can see, hey, are low-income Black women being treated well here? Or is this a place where I don't want to go to? And do I have some options? What about Latina women? What about same-sex couples? You know, it, it's a place for marginalized groups to, to have a screen for who's being treated well or who has a review of good treatment. Now, what I'm real excited about is like on the back end, we now have this qualitative data that we can turn into quantitative data as a tool for change because these hospitals have been getting away with sitting through, you know, two hours of anti-bias training and then they check the box and it's done. No one ever checks back in to see whether that has improved the patient experience. We know that people from Serena Williams are being dismissed for their experience down to the sisters in Detroit that I listen to on a regular basis, right? And so, but, and so all of these stories get dismissed. And in my mind, I kept saying, we need to put all these stories in one place. We need to put all these experiences in one place because now when I go to that, back to that hospital and we have thousands of women now we have some numbers that we can say, listen, this is not a one-off. This is not whatever. You have a problem. And we are actually putting on a public digital platform to hold you accountable. 
Um, unfortunately, the hospital field has been very slow for self-regulation. And I believe that consumer forces, which have helped us in Uber and hotels and where we stay when we travel, that sometimes a consumer force needs to come in to help with uh, to help move our industry toward where they need to be. So that's what I'm excited about. We're actually seeding the app by going into five cities um, to do a review collection campaign. Earth is going to cover your uh, prenatal, so it'll be OBs and GYNs, your birthing experience at the hospital, and then up to one year of pediatric care. So we're capturing that continuum and we're allowing mothers to have a place uh, and, and birthing people to have a place where they can share their experience and let it be a tool for change, both positive and on the other side. And then on the back end, we want to start holding these hospitals accountable. We're going to be looking for trends and patterns and we're going to go back to them and say, here's your problem. You need to fix it. So this is what I'm super excited about. I am too. We're going to take a real, real quick break, and then I want to ask you a couple more questions. Great. Okay, we're back. So um, one question that I had about the app is, is the app called Earth IRTH? Yes, IRTH. And it's not um, available now. It's launching nationally in fall. So we're kind of in beta mode and we're using it while we're collecting reviews at different cities. We just completed New Orleans. We just got funding to go into Sacramento. We're targeting New York and Detroit for the spring. And then we'll be launching nationally uh, in early fall. How about Los Angeles? Los Angeles is on my list. It's on my list. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're better than some states. And how about in the South, Missouri, Mississippi? We really need you there. Yeah, we we need Earth there. I worked there with some projects with the Kellogg Foundation a few years ago. It's definitely a great need. So we're working on all of that. And then we really just wanted to make sure that there was something in the app so that when it launches nationally and we can still target these places, you know, there's something in there for, for somebody. Um, and then we need to open it up to fill up these other places. So many places need it. So many places need it. And here's the thing, Jeannie, I have been saying, we have to save ourselves. We have to save ourselves. This industry is slow moving. And I also need to say like earth is a tool for allies. So many white women say to me, listen, if a doctor or a hospital is not treating my black and brown sisters, well, I'm not going there either. And I appreciate that. And so we really want earth to be a tool for allies. One, we need white women in the app so that we can see any differentiation. It could just be a sucky place for everybody. Um, But we want to galvanize all women to say, share your experiences here, good or bad, because now we can begin to analyze it, look for trends, um, and then we can begin to publicly all be involved with reversing this poor Black maternal mortality rate and Black infant mortality rate, and that it can be something that we all can contribute to for all women. And that's what makes me really excited. Oh, Kimberly, you and I could talk about this all day long. It's true. And I would love to, but I'm, I'm real mindful that you've got a lot going on. So, um, I'm just going to ask you a few more questions and then hopefully I can get you to come on the podcast again down the road. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. Good, good. So the most important question is what else do you want listeners to know? And can they, is there a website that they can go to right now to learn more about you and earth? What do you want listeners to know? Well, I want them to know that Earth is coming and is happening and that we need all women to support. Please go to birthwithoutbias.com where you can learn more about Earth. Um, 
look at our collection uh, campaign and how we're asking questions. So that's the most important thing. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at, at Earth App um, to, to kind of stay up to date. We'll be launching in Sacramento. We just love support. Um, and so to follow our journey and to really tell other people about this resource and that we can we can in battle bias and we can really use it as the root cause of what's going on in maternal mortality. Love it. Okay. Are you ready for our rapid fire roundup questions? I am ready. Okay. You already kind of answered my first one, but I'm going to ask it again because I think you're going to be brilliant. (laughs) No pressure. No, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) What role does feminism play in your life? Hmm. Feminism is a framework for which I kind of move in the world. I, 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 it has a critical, I have a critical lens for feminism, but also have a great connection to it for what it could be. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a framework for which I move and how I think about centering women in this conversation and the need for women as mothers to be included. Yeah. Good answer. Okay. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. So many of those. Uh, nobody ever told me that, you know, there was discrimination in information around birth and breastfeeding and that my who I was, my race and ethnicity would be something that would be impacting the care I received, the information that was given to me, all of it. No one ever told me that. You went into it blind. Yeah. 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 As with optimistic been, expectations. You know, they told me to work hard, go to college, get a good job. I did all that, figured I would be treated fairly on the other end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you went into birth and labor expecting to receive the same care and respect as your Caucasian sisters and did not. Yeah. Birth is rough enough, man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Last question. Where are you in the world of motherhood? So I am at the college student, high school, sophomore uh, phase of motherhood, which is glorious and exciting. I was just saying that, you know, parenting long distance is more stressful. I've got one, you know, at college, she goes to Spelman College in Atlanta and I have one at home and it was much easier when they were both in the same house. So I am in the the distance parenting and the at-home parenting um, and it is a, a challenging period. I often tell people, people say breastfeeding is hard. I'm like, no, (laughs) motherhood is hard. If I could go back to my breastfeeding days right now, I gladly would. Like I pull out my breast and I would do it. Right. So, you know, they can't get very far away from you. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, so many things. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now, but it's a glorious time. And obviously watching my children grow up and become who they are in the world is one of the greatest gifts that I've ever had. So, um, you know, worth it. (laughs) So you have a sophomore in high school and what year in college? And I have a sophomore in college. Yep. I have two sophomores, how I keep them straight. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I have a sophomore in college too. We'll talk about that down the road too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's been great, but I really do feel like this is just the start of the conversation. So you and I will talk offline and get you back on the podcast again. Yeah, I would love that so much. It's been such a great conversation. Thank you for asking the important questions and and actually doing the important work so that we can have these dialogues and uh, places to to really think about things differently. So thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, we'll talk again. Okay, great.
Thanks to our sponsor, March of Dimes, and be sure to check out their powerful new campaign, hashtag best for you, best for baby, and head on over to marchofdimes.org slash pp and p. Okay, everybody, that's it for this week. You can learn more about Kimberly Seals Allers at KimberlySealsAllers.com. And um, I'm going to spell her last name. That is S-E-A-L-S-A-L-L-E-R-S, KimberlySealsAllers.com. And you can learn more about Earth, that's I-R-T-H, at BirthWithoutBias.com. You can learn more about me at JeanFaulkner.com. Email me, tweet me, ask me your questions, find us on social media. My email is gene at genefaulkner.com, Twitter at genefaulkner, and we are Pregnancy Parenting and Politics over on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for joining this conversation, and let's talk again next week.